Hi everyone, how are you guys doing tonight? You doing good? Okay, be louder, are you doing good? Okay, be even louder, are you doing good? Amen, amen. Hey, if we haven't yet met, my name is Matt Velasco. Uh, I have the privilege of being the high school ministry director here at the Chanhassen campus. Uh, really glad that you are all here tonight at high school ministry. We say something around these parts, and you hear me say this every week because it's so important to me, but we say this is home. Now, when we say this is home, we mean it because we believe that this can be a place that is actually home for you. Now, when we say home, we don't mean it's the place where you sleep at night, where you eat all your meals, whatever else it might be, but rather it's home because it's safe. It's vulnerable, it's transparent, it is fun. You feel celebrated, you feel like you can cry, you feel like you can laugh. It's the place where you come because you belong here. And so if this is your first time, I want to say welcome home. I am so glad that you are here tonight. Uh, we are finishing off a three-week series that we've been in called Worlds Apart. We've been talking about how science is God's equation to creation. We've been talking about the two different worlds of faith and science. And so often people think that if you're a Christian, you have to reject science and you have to choose faith. See, we saw in that bumper video, it's, it's, two, like, it's two balls that are, that, are, that, are, that are colliding. It's two worlds. It's two worlds, and we think so often that it's one or the other. But the reality is that when it collides, it creates one, and that is simply loving Jesus. When we love Jesus, we have the ability to love both faith and love science. And that's what we've been talking about. I'm really excited to be wrapping it up tonight. Uh, Mr. John Odom did a great job last week. Uh, but next week, we are doing something brand new. It's called a sing-along. Now, when we say sing-along, uh, it sounds exactly like what it is. We are going to have a night of worship. So we're going to be singing a lot of worship songs next week. Uh, there will not be a message, but there will be small group, an extended small group time. Uh, but we're doing three of them this year, so uh, we're really looking forward to that. Um, because I've been sick and my throat hurts a lot and I'm excited to not have to yell loudly. Even though I always do it and I always regret it. Also, can I confess something? Will you, will you allow me to confess something? I literally could hear Ryan laughing. <laughs> I, this, isn't, you're good, this is like going to be such a letdown. But so as we all, many of you have reminded me that the Chicago Bears lost on Sunday. Many of you have reminded me. I know. Many of you have reminded me. Many of you also send me very mean texts. I just want to let you know that, that they're not wanted. I'm just going to be honest. I don't want you to send me mean texts about my favorite football team. But I, I was screaming so much during that game that my throat has hurt ever since then. So that's a, like, I kid you not, but yeah, whatever. Anyways, back into the important stuff. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm chapter 104. If you have your Bibles, Psalm 104. It's like halfway through the Bible. There's a lot of chapters. We're on the 104th chapter of the Psalms. We're going to be talking tonight about God's creativity and our response to it. So obviously we think of creativity, and I, I have since over the past month learned of a new term. Uh, it, it is visco girl. I, I did not know of this term until my sister became one. Uh, 
I don't know if it's a bad thing or not. So if I just offended you, I apologize. Um, sorry. I love you. I love you. You? Oh, mean? I thought you said that's me. I was like, okay, you are too. <laughs> I also found out that hydro flask with a straw is apparently a very visco girl thing, as well as scrunchies. I have the hydro flask with the straw. I don't have scrunchies. But I am growing my hair out, so maybe someday. But, yeah. No, thank you, though. I don't need a scrunchie. So, so often we live in a world where we think creativity is your ability to take a cool picture, edit it on Visco, and then post it on Instagram. We, we think that, hey, listen up, shh. We think that creativity is uh, you going to a cool coffee shop in Minneapolis, right? We think creativity is you wearing the trendiest clothes, we think creativity is all of these things, but friends, the reality is that everyone who is breathing on Earth or on Mars, whatever it might be, everyone is creative. Now, we're lucky right now, because what I'm about to say is true, but everyone in this room tonight got dressed this morning. And, and whether you know it or not, I'm going to be honest, I, I don't think all of your outfits look great, but... Everyone, everyone got dressed this morning and did something creative. Shh. Everyone got dressed this morning, and one of the first things that you did was an act of creativity. And so the reason why I'm talking about this is because I believe that being creative is simply your ability to make something. If you make chocolate chip cookies, you are being creative. If you put on an outfit, you are being creative. If you solve a math equation, you are being creative. And I don't like what our world has done with the term creativity and made it into something that is defined by what your Instagram looks like or the city that you live in. Because everyone who lives is creative and we get to respond to the creator of creativity who is Jesus, who is God. And so tonight we are talking about just that. How do we respond to God's creativity or, based off what I just said, how do we respond to God's creation? In Psalm chapter 104, I think, actually lays this out for us the best out of anywhere else in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to that. If you have your phones, you can pull it out there or you can look on the screen also. Now I'm going to stop here in a second just to clarify something because I know it's going to um, make you want to stop. But starting in verse 24, it says this, how many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both larger and small. There are ships that go to and fro in Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. Amen, right? Amen. Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. We're not going to talk about this, but just so you know, a fun fact. Leviathan here just means alligator. So what, the, what, the, what, the, uh, what David is saying is he's talking about the alligator. You can talk about that at school tomorrow. Starting again in verse 27. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. 
May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. If you have your own Bibles, you're on your phones, circle that star, that box it, highlight it, do whatever you gotta do. Again in verse 32, he, he who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. And then he wraps up by saying, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me as I, as I pray for us tonight? Lord, we say together as high school ministry, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. God, we ask that tonight you would move supernaturally in the life of the student who's here maybe for the first time. Maybe their friend finally convinced them to come and they're an atheist, they're an agnostic, they don't believe in you, they have no interest in believing in you, Lord. And I just ask that tonight you would speak to that student and that you'd speak them through the love of their neighbor, through the love of their friend, and through the words that you have for us tonight. Lord, be with us. We thank you, Lord, for your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. So King David, who's the author of this psalm, he's the author, author of many psalms, what he's essentially talking about here is, is simply God created everything. And once God got done creating everything, he took a step back and he rejoiced in his creation. And then we respond by worshiping, praying, and repenting. And that's really all that we're going to talk about tonight, that we respond by worshiping, praying, and repenting. And this is the model that Christ has given us in this, th these words. You see, this psalm, I think, speaks perfectly to this whole entire series that we are getting done with because it captures everything that we have talked about. See, it solidifies that God has created all things. Says that all things look to you. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. See, all things are created and sustained by God. And, and, and we, as part of God's creation, look to him and we actually receive sustenance from him. We receive something from him. But the reality about God's creation is that something has happened to it. Something has happened to it. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, when I, so how many of you are golfers? Anyone golfers? Yep, praise God, greatest sport ever. Um, how many of you are just athletes, right? You're just an athlete. My hand is so, I am such an athlete. Goodness gracious, I am me. Um, anyways, anyways, shh. so there's a thing in golf, it's called the approach shot, okay? Now, I'm going to ask you, it's going to make sense, so if, you're, if you don't like golf, just stick with me. There's a thing in golf called the approach shot. Now, the approach shot is the shot you take where you are hoping it's going to land on the green. So usually it's your second, third, or fourth shot, you want it to land on the green. For me, it's like my eighth or ninth shot. But you want it to land on the green, that's the approach shot. And now what you do when you're standing over a golf shot is you line up, take your club back, you swing, and you hit it beautifully. Now if you're like me, you don't do this often. You do it quite rarely, actually, because you don't hit many beautiful golf shots. But when I do, 
I like to take a step back and really celebrate just the athleticism of myself. And you might think I'm kidding, but there is no greater joy I feel besides the joy of Jesus Christ that is quite like when I hit a beautiful golf shot. And I will literally take a step back, watch it, and then like cry a little bit. I don't actually, but sometimes I could. And, and, and that is, honestly, I think for me, the closest thing I can get to, to God rejoicing in his creation. Now, it seems silly. It seems silly, but there is nothing like it. When I look at it and I'm like, I did that. That was me. I have it in me, right? Now, or maybe a more relatable example is coffee in the morning. Now, I just moved into a new apartment in August, and my mom got me an espresso machine because she's an angel. It was from a thrift shop. It cost her $49 cents. Sorry, 49 cents. Crazy, right? But uh, she got it for me, and I have, I kid you not, used it every single morning since. And there is this art of the grind of the beans, the amount of water that you use, the amount of a little extra boiled water that you put in it to make a slight Americano and whatever else it might be. You literally, it is such just, it is, it is, I get to be creative in how I make coffee. And every now and then I will make the perfect cup of coffee and I will sit in front of my window in my favorite chair and I will sip it. And I, again, will cry a little bit because of what I just did. And I say all of this because, yes, I genuinely am being serious. You might think he's lying. I am not. I am being 100% serious. But I say all of this because this is the image that we get in this text of God when he has created. See, God creates everything from Pluto and Saturn to the deepest depths of the ocean, which we've never actually even been to. How wild is that to think of? We've never been to the bottom of the ocean, like the deepest part of the ocean. Never been there. God created everything down there and everything up there and everything in between. And then he takes a step back and he rejoices in his art, in his creation. And then we, in response, worship him because of it. But the reality is that we actually come onto the scene and we ruin his creation. You see, we come onto the scene after he has created everything. We've been talking about how, how, God, how science is God's equation to creation. God equates everything, or e- creates, equates. He creates everything and uses science as his fingerprints to do it, whatever that might mean. And then he takes a step back and he rejoices in it. And then we come onto the scene and we ruin it with our sin. See, if you go and read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you'll see that God created everything perfectly. And then Adam and Eve screwed it up by sinning. And it says that nothing will ever be the same. The word corruption is used. The words tarnished is used, depending on the translation that you're reading. But we actually come into this perfect creation that God has made and we ruin it. I think of it like this. Imagine that you are Vincent van Gogh, who many people would say is the greatest artist to to ever live. And you're painting probably his, his most, or your most, if you're Vincent van Gogh, but his most famous painting, it's called The Starry Night. Men, I know what I'm talking about. Don't worry about it, but it's an awesome painting. Um, and, And imagine you just got done painting it. And then someone from the street comes in with a big bucket of red paint and just splashes it onto the painting. See, that is functionally and metaphorically what we do to God. 
See, God creates perfectly the most beautiful painting that you could ever imagine, the most beautiful creation that you could ever imagine. He takes a step back, he rejoices, and then we come onto the scene and we take our metaphorical red bucket of paint or bucket of red paint, that's the right way to say it, and we throw it onto the canvas. That's what we do. We ruin God's creation with our sin. You might be thinking, Matt, what does this have to do with anything of how we respond? Well, like I said, I think we respond in three ways. We respond in worship, in prayer, and in repentance. And the reason why I say this is because when you go to uh, verse 33, verse 33, it says, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. See, he says that he will sing, he will meditate, and then sin and wickedness will vanish. See, our response to God's creativity is our singing, our prayer, and our repentance. And really, ultimately, when we talk about creation, we talk also about the gospel because the gospel is the very thing that puts creation back into its place. Part of the hope that we have in Jesus is that he will actually return someday and make everything right again. I believe that lions were meant to be cuddled with, but we cannot do it because of sin. Genuinely, I believe that. I, I believe that all of creation was meant for us to enjoy and enjoy it in our relationship with Jesus because in perfect heaven, in the perfect earth, there will be no pain, there will be no death, there will be no crying. And so all of creation is meant for us to enjoy and we enjoy it because it points us to Jesus. See, what I love about Christians who are in the field of science is that they believe in reclaiming the earth. They believe in the reclamation of going to what has been broken and saying that the Lord can heal it. They believe in actually going into forests and stopping all of the deforestation, all of whatever else it might be, and they say that we are losing an opportunity to connect with God. It is not a political issue. It is an issue of God's creation being ruined because of man's sin. If you want to talk more about that, talk to Caroline. She would love to talk to you about it. It's true. You see, science is so important because it is a ley line in our relationship with Jesus. And we respond to it by singing. So you might think like, Matt, why do we do Christian karaoke? Why are we doing a karaoke session next, next week? All we do is sing songs that we see on the screen. Isn't that karaoke? Well, no, it's not. We call it worship. We don't sing because our voices sound good. We don't sing because having 300 high school students up here makes everyone smell good. In fact, it's the opposite. We sing because we actually believe that the Lord receives our worship and we actually believe that something happens when we are doing it. See, the Bible talks about this. And if you don't know this and you don't know why we worship, you're like, man, worship's not for me. I want you to know one thing. Worship is for you because the Bible says that it is. 
And what it actually says happen when we worship is that the veil between heaven and earth begins to get thinner. Now, if you think about a veil, a veil can be seen through, but not quite. A veil is something that you can kind of see the shape of whoever's face is behind it, but you maybe can't tell who it is. The Bible says that when we worship, that veil gets thinner and thinner and thinner. And as we look into it, we see more and more and more of God. And so maybe you're in this room and you're like, Matt, I'm in the midst of darkness and I cannot see God. I do not know where God is. My question for you is, are you worshiping? And in this context, are you worshiping and singing? Because yes, worship is more than just singing. Worship is serving. Worship is loving. But it says this. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. David, a king, he was famous for dancing in a loincloth in the courtyard of his castle in worship. Now that's weird. It's going to be honest, that's weird. Culturally, there's all these significances, significances. There's a lot of significance to it. But The message is so important for us to catch that we worship because of creation. We worship because of creation. We also pray. It says, may my meditation be pleasing to him. Would your prayer be pleasing? Now where I want to sit. David, you can come up here if you're in here, wherever you are. I think he's not in here yet. No, now he's coming. Ignore me says this, but may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Now, when I read this, if I'm being honest, when I decided I was going to teach on this, I I almost didn't because I didn't want to have to read that and explain it because it sounds really scary. Talks about would sinners vanish and the wicked be no more, but what I think this is telling us isn't that the individual would vanish, but that their sin would. See, I think that one of the joys of being a Christ follower and one of our joys in responding to creation is that we actually look at sin and we see it for what it is and we call people out of it. And, and, and we say to our friends who, who are in the habit of practicing sin, or maybe you are in the habit of practicing sin, what that means is that you choose to sin. You actually almost try to get better at sinning. In the habit of practicing sin and And we look at that and we say that part of my response to the creation of God is that we look at our practice of sinning and we say no more. We say to it that we as Christ followers will seek to eradicate sin in the world, not because we have a supernatural power to do it, but because we have a supernatural God who can And so if you go into the ocean, into the forest, into space, wherever you might go and you see the beauty of God's creation, we respond by worshiping, we respond by praying, but we also respond by seeking to sin no more. See, when it says, may sinners vanish, it's not asking for the actual individual to disintegrate from existence but that that individual would go from being a sinner to being a saint. That we would seek as believers and followers of Jesus to actually save people from sin. And that's a heavy task. 
And I'm going to leave you with this tonight. Peter, who Jesus looked him in the eye, and he said, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Peter, the one who was the very first pastor, the one who was the very first church planter, the one who Jesus called to start this thing that we are now a part of called church, was 18 when Jesus said that to him. Some people say he was 16. Isaiah, who is probably the greatest prophet to ever live, was 12 years old when he was called to be a prophet. And the King David who wrote this psalm when he was called to be a king was 14. I think we live in a world where so often we hear these things like, man, would we seek to see our schools change? Would we seek to see our world change? Would we seek to see our friends sin no more and turn and give their lives to Jesus? And we think, Matt, that's good for me once I'm 25, once I'm graduated from college, once I can have the title of pastor or small group leader or whatever else it might be. But we read scripture and we see that God didn't use 25-year-olds. He used 12 to 18-year-olds. You. You were the people that 35-year-old Jesus hung out with when he was walking the earth. You were the people that he looked in the eyes and said, follow me for you will be the ones to spread this movement called salvation, called faith, called Christianity. And so as you hear these words, Matt, I would love to worship. I would love to pray. I would love to repent and seek other people's repentance, but that's just not for me. I'm not quite mature yet. Neither were they. And it didn't stop them. And so as we step and we sing this song one more time, we are, we are singing that our response to God's creation is to worship. Because our worship is received by a loving God who wants a relationship with you. And if you don't know him, I'm just gonna be honest, now is your moment. It's not about raising your hand. It's not about saying the right prayer. I'm not gonna make you do any of those things because I don't actually think that matters. It's about you simply saying that you believe and confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. And so my challenge to you is if tonight you give your life to Jesus for the very first time, it's your job to come and tell your small group leader. Tell them. If you're here for the first time and you don't have one, tell your friend small group leader. If you're here by yourself, find a random adult and tell them. because that is what it is all about. So Jesus, as we wrap up tonight, we just ask that you would move uh, in these last couple of minutes as we sing this song, Lord, that we would recognize that science is your equation to creation, Lord, and our response to that, to the creative act of your creation is to sing, it's to pray, and it's to repent. Lord, we love you. Receive this worship. Amen.